Accountability is God's job. But it's not solely God's job. No, it's our job too. We will be the plan. We are never going to give up. When the truth is known to the entire world, we are going to have extreme accountability. Good evening and welcome to the Stu Peters Show. So on this show, we've talked a lot about extreme accountability. We've talked about a second Nuremberg Tribunal, Nuremberg 2.0. And that's a reference, of course, to the tribunals that we held after World War II, where the leaders of the Nazi regime were put on trial and they were hanged for what they did. The lesson of the Holocaust that people often repeat is never again. And that's a good motto, actually. Yes, never again should we forcibly stick people into ghettos over their religion. Never again should we force people to undergo medical experiments like the ones committed at Auschwitz. But above all, the lesson of never again is this. We should never allow any group of people to have total control over society so that they can eradicate anyone who opposes or disagrees with them. But some people have the exact opposite attitude toward the Holocaust. To some people, the Holocaust is their excuse for why they deserve absolute power today. Because the Holocaust happened 80 years ago, they say, they get to create today's Nazism, dressed up with words like social justice or medical safety or the climate. In a nutshell, the argument goes, my grandparents or my grandparents or my great-grandparents or my great-uncle or whoever, they got killed by the Nazis in the Holocaust, so my integrity is beyond reproach. Another version of that argument is, my ancestors died in the Holocaust, so any argument that I make, no matter how deranged, is automatically valid. We saw this during the trucker protests in Canada. Some deranged left-wing member of the Canadian Parliament said the truckers were Nazis because they were honking their horns. And honk honk was code for Heil Hitler. People took her seriously. And so a few days later, dictator Justin Trudeau declared martial law. He seized truckers' bank accounts. He did mass arrests to shut the protests down. How very Nazi-like of him. But the modern-day Holocaust grift isn't just in Canada. No, it's just as strong right here in America. This, of course, is the entire racket of the Anti-Defamation League. They demand mass censorship, like the Nazis. They engage in blanket vilification of their enemies, like the Nazis. They defend and demand mass street violence under the banner of BLM. And guess what? Yes, the Nazis used riots for political ends too. But the ADL has hit on this brilliant twist to keep their extortion racket going. They just simply claim to be anti-fascist. And so they get to behave as much like fascists as they want. Biden's Gestapo chief, Merrick Garland, did just this the other day. The Biden Department of Justice has been caught targeting traditional Catholics, treating them as a group of religious subversives. So when Merrick Garland was testifying to Congress on Wednesday and was asked about that, his response was, quote, the idea that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous and absurd, unquote. In other words, my ancestors were persecuted by the Nazis, so it's impossible that I would persecute anybody else. 
This isn't an argument. No, it's a lie. It's emotional blackmail. It's using the atrocities of the past as a political weapon to justify tyranny over others in the present. It is, in fact, the exact sort of thing the Nazis themselves did. And another one of the people who does this stunt the most is Biden's Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. Blinken is the architect of U.S. policy in Ukraine, where we endorsed Vladimir Zelensky purging his political enemies, censoring the press prior to the big war with Russia. Blinken loves to tell the story of his stepfather, Samuel Pisar, who survived Auschwitz and allegedly escaped a Nazi death march only to be rescued by a unit of black U.S. soldiers driving an American tank, whom he greeted with the only English language phrase that he ever knew, God bless America. It's a beautiful story, sure. But there are a lot of Holocaust stories that are actually grossly embellished by those looking to make a buck or get famous. And according to one writer, Blinken's stepdad is one of those phonies. E. Michael Jones is the founder of Culture War magazine and the author of the Holocaust narrative. And he joins us now. Uh, sir, what do you say about all of this? Well, it's yeah, it's, an, it's a narrative that was created basically to give groups like the ADL total power over, over our culture, over what gets said on the internet and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the, this also basically, uh, total power over the Biden administration. I wrote an article at the beginning of the Biden administration, taking the, the, uh, basis from it, from a, a article. And I think the Jerusalem post where they talked about Biden's minion. That's 10 people, uh, you need to have in order to have a service at a synagogue. And I was rebuked for saying that by someone who sent me a picture of 457 Jews in the Biden administration. They, it's a pretty obvious now that Joe Biden can't get out of a press conference without tripping or falling or finding the exit. So someone else is in charge. And I'm saying it's the Biden's, it's not Biden's minion. It's those 457 Jews who came up with what is the most uh, their Biden's term, the most comprehensive plan to combat anti-Semitism in American history. That came out in May. The archi architect of that was uh, uh, Deborah Lipstadt, uh, who uh, created the term Holocaust denial in the early 1990s. This is a, an attempt to take total control over the government of the United States of America, including uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, which now has to come up with a comprehensive plan to combat anti-Semitism uh, in the agricultural uh, fields of the United States of America. It also includes the Forestry Service, which has to come up with a comprehensive plan to combat anti-Semitism. These people want total control of the narrative. They want total control of the government. Uh, and that's where Anthony Blinken stepped in. Right after that was announced, within a week, he gives does a, uh, a video, which was distributed by the World Jewish Congress, in which he talked about his uh, stepfather. And he mentioned, you mentioned the story. He's in the stepfather's in the woods. Uh, you know, he hears something rumbling. There's a white star on the tank. It's an American tank. He rushes over, and then the hatch pops open. There's a black guy, and Anthony uh, Samuel Pizer says, uh, "God bless America." The only three words he knows in English. The, the uh, Blinken then says he lifted uh, the black tank driver lifted my stepfather up into the tank into America and into freedom. 
Well, that's a touching story, uh, but it, it could never have happened. Never have happened. There was one all Negro tank division that was uh, in uh, Europe at that time. It was the 761st. Uh, it was never near Dachau. Now, the, the interesting thing here is this story got, got circulated 30 years ago. 30 years ago, there was a big problem in Brooklyn because uh, the the Jewish Messiah by the name of Menachem Schmierson had a motorcade and they don't follow traffic laws. So they went through a red light and killed one child and injured another black child. That set off black Jewish rioting, uh, uh, rioting in Crown Heights. Uh, blacks were attacking Jews. Someone had to do something. And so PBS came up with the idea, we'll do a documentary uh, or called Liberators about how this black tank, uh, tank battalion liberated Dachau. Well, it's a heartwarming story, and you can see the Jews and the blacks hugging them, hugging each other over this thing. But unfortunately, it wasn't true. It's impossible. And the group that exposed it, ironically, was the American Jewish Committee. Well, that blew up back then, and everybody headed for the exit and pretended it didn't happen. And here's Blinken coming back again as if nobody learned anything from that first time around saying the same thing. Now you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you, when you mentioned this recent incident with Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland is the head of law enforcement in the United States of America. He's been called on the carpet because he's prosecuting Catholic pro-lifers and he doesn't know what to say. So when you don't know what to say in an instance like this, you say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Mm. And that ends the argument. And that's exactly the, the type of diplomacy that Blinken has been pursuing, uh, which got us into this war in the Ukraine. So I mentioned during this submersible fiasco uh, that this thing, when they were going down to look at the Titanic, that it was funded by the Rothschilds. The ADL said that that was anti-Semitic. It was factual. It is funded by the Rothschilds. Uh, I, I mentioned during a documentary called Watch the Water that there were poisonous toxins inside of the public water systems, and that was some anti-Semitic uh, trope by me, I guess, trope. Uh, why is everything anti-Semitic, and why is that so dangerous for everybody here? Well, it's dangerous because uh, that shuts down every argument. Any argument. I'm trying that, to figure uh, out why that is, though. I mean, can you articulate why does that have the power to shut down an argument? I mean, if I say, well, I'm white, so you should stop arguing with me. Or if a black guy says, well, I'm black, so you have to agree with me. Why? Why? I'm a Jew. So you you need to go away and I'm going to get my way. The answer to that is the Holocaust narrative. The Holocaust gave the created Jewish privilege. It basically put Jew like a Jew uh, like Garland, who is supposed to enforce the law. It puts them above the law. I, 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 I could give you a lot of examples. They're in the book. Uh, and ex a classic example is the the Auschwitz tattoo. There's a debate uh, between uh, Bernard Nathanson and Henry Morgenthaler over Morgenthaler over abortion. Morgenthaler is a Canadian. He was promoting using uh, he was promoting abortion clinics throughout Canada when it was illegal. The police could not touch him. Why could they not touch him? Because he rolled up his sleeves whenever the police come. And there's the Auschwitz tattoo. And that put him above the law. This Blinken's father, Pizar, said exactly the same, literally the same thing. 
he he won a game of ping pong because he said the the German he was playing ping pong with saw the Auschwitz tattoo. If you have relatives who died in the Holocaust, you have Jewish privilege, and if you have Jewish privilege, you're above the law. It's that simple. So you mentioned 400 and some odd people that are in Biden's cabinet that happen to be Jews. We pointed this out the other day. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of them, undeniably. I mean, so why is that? Who's infiltrating this government and what is their objective? Basically, the Jews want to control the narrative. They want to control the narrative that, which maintains uh, th- their privilege, uh, their privileged position in society. They they took control of the Biden administration. I think this is their this is their last chance. I think there's a reaction building uh, in the government, in the deep state, if you want to talk about that, um, because primarily because of the war in Ukraine. That's been a Jewish project from 2014, which is when Victoria Newland, uh, who is now second in charge in the uh, State Department, orchestrated the coup d'etat that overthrew the legitimate government of the Ukraine. That was in 2014, By, yes. 2014. So now we're nine years into that, heading into 10 years into that, and the war is not going well. And so what I think we're seeing is a reaction in the deep state uh, uh, manifested by uh, a recent uh, editorial by uh, David Ignatius, uh, who is uh, writes for the Washington Post, but he's really, everybody knows he's the mouthpiece for the CIA. And what he's saying is basically that Biden cannot run for re-election. Now, you and I know that Biden doesn't do anything there without handlers telling him how to get, get on and off the stage, okay? The 450 Jews that are in the White House control the Biden administration. So what I'm seeing here is a reaction among, uh, in the deep state against this Jewish takeover of, of our foreign policy. I think that's what's going on right now. I think it's inevitable because they overplayed their hand. The the, the reaction when Elon Musk jumped into the discussion about the ADL uh, and said the ADL has been trying to destroy me ever since I took over Twitter, the reaction was enormous. Hashtag ban the ADL became the number one trend almost immediately. Hundreds of thousands of people suddenly coming on, expressing the resentment that they're feeling at these people who feel like they can control everything. They can shut down every narrative. They can destroy your life. Even if you're a billionaire, they can cause you to lose $22 billion of value. And this is on top of what happened to Kanye West, uh, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie Irving, and so on and so forth. So the resentment is enormous, and it's now now finally been focused into a battle between Musk and the ADL over who's allowed to control discourse. Mm. So we've got Jewish people that are making all of the calls in Ukraine. All the bodies are buried in Ukraine. Uh, we're, we're funding, though, however, a proven—this is factual— neo-Nazi group called the Azov Battalion. They know that. They know the atrocities that these people are committing there. They know the murders and the executions and the prisoners of war and the torture and the killing and the mass graves in the Donbass. I mean, this was all happening long before we got involved, but we were funding this. We were giving them weapons. So knowing that they're funding and that they're giving weapons to neo-Nazis, literal Nazis in Ukraine, um, how can they blatantly just lie to the public like this and what about the hypocrisy of, well, I'm a Jew, so everything I say cannot be argued with, and I'm going to go fund these Nazis who are committing war crimes? Well, you just said it. I mean, basically, there's no objective criterion here that can't be countermanded by someone who's going to explain it away. And so what happens is the ADL 
issued a statement saying, well, yeah, that's true about the roots of the Azov Brigade. And yeah, they do have swastikas on their shoulder, uh, arms and stuff like that. But they're good Nazis. Well, wait a minute. I thought Nazi meant ipso facto bad. What, what we're seeing here, what this is what happens when you allow a small group to have total control of the narrative. What that means is truth is the opinion of the powerful. That's what it is. You have no objective criteria here. So, for example, if I say uh, Jews are behind gay marriage, well, that, that you're an anti-Semite for saying that. Well, what about the fact that Joe Biden said the same thing? What about the fact that Amy Dean, writing in Tacoon Magazine, said Jews were behind gay marriage? The, what you're seeing here, when you have the situation where truth is the opinion of the powerful, you've lost any ability to defend yourself because there's no such thing as truth. They get to determine what the truth is. If you're in a libel uh, suit, truth is an absolute defense. What you're seeing here is the a- abolition abolition of the truth or the replacement of the truth as the opinion of the powerful. Speak to the influence that the Jews have in our media here today. Well, uh, they control it. Uh, they control it. I mean, I've, I've gone, I've done research on this. I've written books about it. The crucial turning point came in the 1930s. At that point, uh, there's three three ethnic groups in America, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. At that point, the, the Protestants and the Catholics were disgusted at what Hollywood was producing, and they, they basically imposed the production code on Hollywood. That meant that there was a Catholic by the name of Joe Breen who basically had veto power over any film. Well, I, you know the films that were produced between 1933 and 1965. It wasn't bad stuff, you know what I mean? But the Jews didn't like it. They they wanted total control uh, over what came out. And so what they did was they played the Holocaust card. The, the, the movie that broke the production code, which meant that the Jews did not have total monopoly over what came out of Hollywood, uh, was the pawnbroker. And the pawnbroker was a Holocaust porn film. Uh, obviously not porn the way we understand it today, but basically the production code was very clear about you cannot t- have nudity on the screen. Well, the Jews used the pawnbroker, used the Holocaust to basically bring bare breasts onto the screen. The prostitute takes off her blouse in front of the pawnbroker, and that's the end of the production code. After that point, after they broke the Catholic resistance in Hollywood, they just marched through the institutions to the point where we're, where we are today, where basically the ADL is is demanding that they have total control over whatever gets said on the internet. Total control. That was the whole gist of the ni- 2019 campaign, hate, so-called hate speech campaign that the ADL orchestrated. And that's the bone of contention between Musk uh, uh, and the ADL right now. I was banned, uh, uh, along with a lot of other people in 2019. When Musk took over, I got back on Twitter. The the ADL, the Jews, have not been happy ever since that time. And they, they're, they're going to go toe-to-toe and make sure that everyone knows that they have total control of the narrative now. So hate speech, I, I think, is just a construct. I think this is a fictitious thing, just like um, you know, assault weapons. I think it's just a fictitious class of firearms. Uh, you know, and if somebody wants to say, okay, well, 
my argument is valid, yours is not because I'm a Jew or because you know I had ancestors that died in the Holocaust, allegedly, whatever. Uh, let's just say, and, and, and let me be very clear, I don't agree with that sentiment at all. I think it's complete BS. Uh, but let's just superficially let that be on its face. What about this unrelenting defense of Israel? What about this Iron Dome and this constant funding of Israel, candidates going to Israel to smooch the wall, to get the blessing of, you know, uh, the, the Jewish people before they can, you know, run for office. Uh, th- this, this narrative of Israel is our greatest ally. Wh- where does this all come from? Who's making this decision and why? IPAC, the American Israeli Political Action Committee, very simple. They just bought off the Congress. The cl- the best example to explain this is the story of Cynthia McKinney, who was a, a black woman who was elected as a representative from Georgia. She's in her office. Okay. She hasn't been sworn into office. They're showing her around. She's in her office and there's a fax machine. That's the era of fax machines. And it turns out this piece of paper, it's the IPAC pledge. You have to pledge to support Israel. Well, wait a minute. This is even before she took the oath of office. She's got to pledge support to Israel. Well, who's running the show here? Well, the answer is IPAC. The, the, the Jews have total control over the Congress. You want an example of what I'm talking about? When Benjamin Netanyahu shows up and addresses the Congress, 27 standing ovations from the most powerful men on the face of the earth why? Because he's the new Demosthenes because of his eloquence? No, because IPAC's there taking role. They're writing down, if you don't jump up 27 times, we will fund a candidate to put you out of office. Now, the next guy was the president of Israel, I forget his name, 30 standing ovations. All for the same reason, because IPAC's there, and if you don't jump up and look enthusiastic, we're going to run a candidate against you and run you out of office, just as we did to Cynthia McKinney. Yeah, look at the Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, wearing um, an Israeli flag. I mean, this is supposed to be an America First representative. Complete hogwash, totally, absolutely. He's 100% fake and sold out to Israel. How many people are not sold out to Israel, I think, is the shorter list. But the, the, the question is, what is the ultimate goal? What's the, what is the benchmark benchmark of success for for Jews in America. Total control. Total control. Let's put it this way. Total control of the narrative. In other words, you will not be allowed to say anything that a Jew finds offensive. Or let me put it even more specifically, anything the ADL finds offensive. Including don't, will, don't go and get a booster because you might die. That's anti-Semitic, right? There's no limit. Look, if as you mentioned in Canada, if Hong Kong equals Heil Hitler, there's no limit to this. What happened in Canada is basically a guy by the name of Bernie Farber who created this committee in 2018, Committee to End Hate on the Internet, Canadians Against Hate on the Internet, something like that. He, they, they, the truckers show up. They're tired of COVID restrictions. They're losing money. This is a, an indigenous grassroots protest against a medical policy. And how do you stop it? Well, what you do is you find an anti-Semitic flyer, which is what Bernie Farber did. And then, and then they run with that. And then suddenly an entire group of people of Canadians are completely discredited because someone planted something anti-Semitic uh, near a truck. This has got to stop. Yeah. So how do this we stop it? This has got to stop. How do we stop it? I think what I said before is that there are powers at work now within the deep state that realize this has gone too far. This is not the first time this has happened. After World War II, 
the sec the Jewish Secretary of State Henry Morgenthau imposed a plan to punish Germany. Okay, which means deindustrialize, and he knew that meant Germans were going to starve to death. And he was willing to do that. The, ni- the year 1946-47 is known as Das Hungerjahr in German history, even in German textbooks. Okay, at this point, the uh, the equivalent of the, the WASP elite uh, in the Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt administration realized, look, if this guy has his way, the Germans are going to welcome the Soviet army with open arms. And we don't want that to happen. Germany has to become a bulwark against the Soviet Union. And so people like Pat, Patton was, I think Patton was murdered because he was going to do this. Stimson, uh, Her- Herbert Hoover, the for- former president, all said, look, this is Semitic vengeance. The United States has no business promoting Semitic vengeance against the German people. Get rid of this plan. And they did. And they brought in the Marshall Plan instead. I think we're in exactly that moment a turning a turning point right now largely because of that david ignatius uh editorial there's a segment of the cia there's a segment of the military i think represented by people like colonel mcgregor who think this is going south mcgregor is another wasp he went to penn charter in philadelphia the classic wasp high school where i went to high school at a catholic high school those people are not happy and I think they are forcing the issue by saying Biden's got to go. So uh, with the Jewish influence in our military, in our cabinet, in our Congress, in the Senate, in the executive branch, uh, everywhere that you look, on the Internet, uh, why should people care? There's a group of people that will just say, well, I don't care if the Jews want to run everything. That's fine. Why should we, why should we care? Well, ask, uh, ask Elon Musk. Ask Kanye West. You don't care if there's a group of people simply by labeling you as an anti-Semite or a white supremacist can destroy your ability to earn a living, can get you fired from your job. You don't care about that. Well, then I think you are you smoking dope or are you shooting up heroin? Who does not care about that? That's an existential threat to every single person in the United States of America. If you don't toe the line, we will ruin you. No one should have that power. What we need is to reassert government control. What do I mean by that? I mean, First Amendment should be the rule for the Internet. It's a it's a utility. It's not some private possession. That means if it's not illegal, according to the Constitution of the United States, it should be permitted on the Internet. That means no more terror based on hate speech or anti-Semitism, or white supremacy, or any other of these fictions that they create to basically destroy you. It's the Patriot 2.0 is what this is, with Biden saying that he's going to combat anti-Semitism because that's combating terrorism. You're a terrorist. You could be classified a terrorist or an enemy combatant if you speak against anybody who's of Jewish descent. And by the way, most of these people, including George Soros, who just mentioning his name on television like we are just now, uh, could be considered to be anti-Semitic. Uh, he's not even a practicing Jew. It's all a ruse. It's all a farce. I agree with you 100%. It's all uh, the uh, quest for power and control. And it is extremely dangerous. It's an existential threat to freedom in America. Uh, E. Michael Jones, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. God bless you, sir. You're welcome. We are seeing unprecedented criminal tax hikes, hyperinflation, a full-blown recession, and it's all part of the grand plan. The billions of dollars that Biden keeps sending to that corrupt, fake Ukraine. 
the trillions in new taxes that he wants to shove down your throat, the electronic banking system crash resetting everybody to zero, checking accounts, savings accounts, 401ks, IRAs, all of it, zero. But you don't have to be a victim. Protect your money and get up to $10,000 in free silver to do it when you call my friends at GoldCo. GoldCo has helped to protect over $2 billion in gold and silver for people like you and me. And now they're offering you up to $10,000 in bonus silver when opening a qualified IRA account just for being a supporter of the Stu Peters Show. So whether you want to protect your 50 grand or a half a million or even more, this is your opportunity to protect yourself from our out-of-control, corrupt corporate crime syndicate. Don't be a victim. Call GoldCo, 855-706-GOLD. Again, 855-706-GOLD. Or go to goldco.com slash stew. For the first time in a millennia, a famine of biblical proportion is hitting the earth, and it's by design. War has created scarcity. Fertilizer production has been wiped out. The price of fertilizer is up 128%. Food processing plants are exploding. Herds of cows are being massacred and buried. This is a very abnormal event. The Great Reset demons have created the crisis, but a generation of great resistors following King Jesus have the solution. Heavensharvest.com, get there right now. Prepare for the worst by trusting the best. Heavensharvest.com has a delicious plan to conquer starvation. It's real food, high quality, tastes great. Trust Heaven's Harvest today. Order food for the year and a bucket of heirloom seeds. Affordable, available, ready for the fight ahead. Heavensharvest.com. At some point, we've all been sold a big lie, including yours truly. It's called the protein lie. Starting in the 1980s, supplement companies began pushing massive protein consumption. We all believed that more protein equaled more muscle growth. I'm here to tell you that's a big fat lie. No surprise. Let's say that you eat an eight ounce chicken breast. You're consuming about 40 grams of protein. However, just because something contains 40 grams of protein doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to absorb all 40 grams. No, without enzymes, most of it ends up in your toilet bowl. So if you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will be starving for those vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial that you take a high quality enzyme. The one that I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more proteins than any other commercially available with five different kinds of proteins. You can try it today, risk-free. Their 365-day full money-back guarantee is the gold standard in the industry. When you go to bioptimizers.com slash stew, be sure to enter the coupon code stewpeters10 to get an extra 10% off of your order at bioptimizers.com slash stew. Welcome back. White pill moment here on the Stu Peters Show. The feds are losing complete control of their narratives, all of them, including January 6th. This is the only possible takeaway from the surprise announcement on Tuesday that the Department of Justice has now charged Ray Apps with a single count of disorderly conduct. It's clearly a Hail Mary attempt to shut down questions about what the real story of January 6th is. Yeah, because the DOJ and the media machine want to point at this and say, hey, look, he can't possibly be a Fed. No, he got charged with a crime. But doing a serious move like this years later sends the exact opposite of its intended message. It signals that our suspicions about Ray Epps are likely accurate. It signals that we're on the right track. And fortunately, people aren't fooled. 
Biden Gestapo Chief Merrick Garland was on Capitol Hill Wednesday where he took a beating, a grilling from Congressman Thomas Massey. It went like this. Peter Navarro was indicted for contempt of Congress. Aren't you, in fact, in contempt of Congress when you give us this answer? This is an answer that's appropriate at a press conference. It's not an answer that's appropriate when we are asking questions. We are the committee that is responsible for your creation, for your existence of your department. You cannot continue to give us these answers. Aren't you, in fact, in contempt of Congress when you refuse to answer? Congressman, I have the greatest respect for Congress. I also have the greatest respect for the Constitution and laws of the United States. Um, the protection of pending uh, investigations and ongoing investigations, as I briefly discussed in another uh, dialogue a few moments ago, goes back to the separation of powers, which gives to the executive branch the sole authority to conduct prosecutions. Um, it, it's a requirement of due process and uh, respect for those who are under investigation, the protection of their civil rights. So well, with, all, with, all, do, do with, with all due respect, respect with all due respect to that, uh, Iran-Contra was an ongoing investigation, and that didn't stop Congress from getting the answers. And you're getting in the way of our constitutional duty. You're signing the Constitution. I'm going to cite it. It's our constitutional duty to do oversight. Now, in that video... That was your answer to a question to me two years ago, when I said how many agents or assets of the government were present on January 5th and January 6th and agitating in the crowd to go into the Capitol and how many went into the Capitol. Can you answer that now? I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, last time, you don't know how many there were or there were none? I don't know the answer to either of those questions. If there were any, I don't know how many. You've I don't know whether there are any. I think you may have just perjured yourself that you don't know that there were any. You want to say that again, that you don't know that there I were have any? I no personal knowledge of this matter. I think what I said the you've, last time. You've had two years to find me. out. And the day, by the way, that was in reference to Ray Epps. And yesterday you indicted him. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful coincidence on a misdemeanor? Meanwhile, you're sending grandmas to prison. You're putting people away for 20 years for merely filming. Some people weren't even there, yet you've got the guy on video who's saying go into the Capitol. He's directing people to the Capitol before the speech ends. He's at the site of the first breach. You've got all the goods on him, 10 videos, and it's an, and it's an indictment for a misdemeanor? The American public isn't buying it. I yield the balance of my time to Chairman Jordan. May I answer the question? I'm going to ask you one now. Uh, yeah, let's, we'll let the gentleman. Yeah. Um, that, I, I, go ahead, but... The, uh, in discovery, in the cases um, that were filed with respect to January uh, 6, um, the Justice Department prosecutors provided whatever information they had about uh, the question that you're asking. Uh, with respect to Mr. Epps, the FBI has said that he was not an employee or informant of, of the uh, FBI. Uh, Mr. Um, Epps has been charged, um, and there's a proceeding, I believe, going on today on that subject. The charge is a joke. I yield to the chairman. Massey is one of the smartest members of Congress, and he blew up Gestapo Garland's lies perfectly. Nobody is fooled. The DOJ thinks that it can pack people away for years or even decades for standing on the Capitol steps or wandering through the Capitol's halls escorted by cops. At this moment, Jack Smith's sham investigation is criminally charging former President Donald Trump, 
simply for giving a speech and making some tweets and encouraging people to go watch a news broadcast on election hearings. And on that alone, they're accusing Donald Trump of plotting an insurrection to overthrow the government. Enrique Tarrio just got 22 years in prison despite not being in D.C. that day because he supposedly orchestrated January 6th. And then they have this goon, Ray Epps, on camera for two whole days telling everybody he meets to walk to the Capitol and break into the Capitol. And the only thing that he gets is a single misdemeanor close to three years later. Ray Epps literally texted his family that he orchestrated the break-in. It's a sham. It's a joke. Now, it's tempting to think it's the DOJ just mocking us by showing us how blatant their mechanisms can be while we just point and fume. But thankfully, it's probably not that. Instead, these people are just incompetent at trying to clean up one mess and then making another. Our regime is good at that. Remember, they have sent SWAT goons from one corner of this country to the other, dragging people out of their homes at gunpoint while ransacking their house just because they were present on January 6th. On this show, we've interviewed Alfredo Luna, the Marine veteran who had red dot sites trained on his entire family by the feds when they assaulted his home in the middle of the night just days after January 6th. We've interviewed Rosemary Westbury, whose home was assaulted by an FBI battering ram and two dozen armed agents who ripped the house to shreds all over January 6th. And now the DOJ expects us to just get amnesia, forget all of that, and think it's normal for them to take the one person caught on camera demanding a capital break-in and give him a total nothing burger slap on the wrist. Disorderly conduct. That's the charge that you get for getting drunk after a football game and pissing on a sidewalk somewhere. Darren Beatty of Revolver News did more than anyone to make Ray Epps into a national figure. He's done more than anyone to make the public aware of the lies and misdirections around the DNC pipe bomber, the mysterious scaffold commander, and all other things about January 6th that just don't add up. Now, obviously... Just like the rest of us, Darren Beatty knows that Tuesday's indictment does absolutely nothing to answer any questions about that day. Exact opposite. Actually, it just raises even more of them. Just after the news broke, Darren tweeted this, quote, Amazing that the feds think that indicting Epps on a slap on the wrist misdemeanor charge two and a half years after January 6th will quell suspicions regarding fed surrection. This is the clumsiest cover-up job I've ever seen. This phony charge years after will only make things worse for the Fed narrative. The people know the truth already. It's too late. Perfectly said. Darren Beatty joins us now. Uh, Darren, thank you so much for coming. We appreciate you being here. Great to be here, Stu. Thank you. Yeah. So what happens now? I mean, this massy massacre was, was perfect. Is anything ever going to come of this? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I would love for there to be something final and definitive. You know, I've said for a long time that Ray Epps is one of the two smoking guns of the Fed's direction. The other one being the pipe bomb hoax, which we've covered um, quite extensively. As for any kind of final resolution of the matter, 
Your guess is as good as mine. It's very hard to come by. It would have to involve some sort of major breakthrough that gives us a clear and definitive indication of what sort of infrastructure Ray Epps was working with. I think anyone who looks at the material of the case at this point, you know, including Revolver's reporting on it, the video evidence of what Ray Epps was doing, the extraordinary protection that Epps has enjoyed, not only from the DOJ, but perhaps more shockingly, even from the regime media, the media that's expended so much energy into creating this notion that January 6th is the new 9-11, and therefore the perpetrators are the new terrorists. For this individual, Ray Epps, who, as you said, is caught on camera as early as the 5th telling people to go into the Capitol, the guy who's this big guy, former Marine, in camo with a Trump hat telling the crowd to go into the Capitol, who's there the next day directing people to the Capitol, who's pre-positioned at that first breach point, whispering into people's ears before the breach of the barricade, who, as you mentioned, texted his nephew saying, I orchestrated it, um, who on paper is therefore exactly the kind of person that the regime would want to elevate as the symbol of the insurrection. And don't forget, this guy was the former head of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers, one of the most demonized and heavily prosecuted militia groups associated with January 6th. So Ray Epps really served himself up as a silver platter. He could have been tremendously useful to the government for the very narrative they were trying to present. And yet, curiously, not only did they protect him, but he is the sole and singular January 6th participant that they will go out of their way to defend, that the New York Times will write a fully dedicated puff piece on, that 60 Minutes will do a sympathy segment on. But Stephen D'Antuono, who recently appeared before the Judiciary Committee, and that was another instance in which Massey proved his heroic capabilities, where Stephen D'Antuono came forward and this guy ran the Washington field office. He oversaw the Michigan Fed napping disgrace. He was the public face of the pipe bomb investigation and so forth. He tells the Judiciary Committee he feels awful for Ray Epps. He has so much sympathy for Ray Epps. All of a sudden, these guys are softies when it comes to Epps. When you have Tario getting 22 years, or I think even worse, Joe Biggs getting 17 years, and still much worse, people like Thomas Caldwell, and I know you've followed a lot of these people. Thomas Caldwell is a particular case that I've been interested in. He's a very poor guy. He's you know, in his 60s. He's a veteran. He's disabled. He wasn't doing anything. And yet the government, very early on, they gave him that same treatment you were talking about, the SWAT treatment, the laser pointer guns. They had guns on his wife. They ransacked his house. They destroyed his house for five hours, searching every bit of electronics. That's not the treatment Ray Epps got. For, for, leaving aside just the misdemeanor aspect, Ray Epps wasn't searched like that. And why wasn't he? In fact, his behavior was considered so egregious very early on that on January 8th, 2021, two days after January 6th, 
he was one of the first 20 people put on the FBI's most wanted list. So they knew his behavior was egregious. They, you know, there must have been some miscommunication, you know, within the government as to what he actually was. They put him on the list. And then as we report now, as the, you know, the rest is history, Revolver broke this idea that, oh, there could be federal involvement. And our second major piece that we ran on that, literally the next day, that was when Ray Epps was quietly taken off of that list, Hmm. never to be heard from again. So this shows you that he was a known quantity from their point of view. It's not this unlikely scenario where they just didn't know who Epps was and they just recently found out about his case and decided to give him misdemeanor. No, they've known about him for a very long time and have considered his behavior to be egregious enough to put him as a top 20 most wanted two days after January 6th. And so for some reason... No, there's no new evidence about him. For some reason now, after all of this time, two years and eight months worth, they give him this misdemeanor charge when they could have given him so many more charges, um, obstruction of an official proceeding. That's a standard one. I've argued that he could have gotten very serious conspiracy charges based on an exchange he had with someone called Maroon Proudboy, but none of that. And so it's like you said, exactly what you said is that This is an incredibly incompetent cover-up job that's been pretty much par for the course throughout the whole narrative control effort on Epps. What they don't understand is that Epps is the weakest ground they have to stand on. If I were advising them as one of the, you know, quote unquote, bad guys, I would say, we want to keep Ray Epps the hell out of the news cycle as much as we can. And yet by these bungling efforts, like having Ray Epps go on a defamation, you know, lawfare expedition against, you know, Fox and Tucker and me. And, um, and now most recently trying to do this weird cover up thing with a slap on the wrist charge. It just makes things worse for them because it re-ups Epps in the news cycle and any thinking person with a brain, even people who hate Trump, even people who think, generally speaking, January 6th was this horrible insurrection, which is ridiculous, but put that aside, even people who hate most of the people on January 6th, if they're thinking clearly, they're going to look at that and say, this Epps thing simply doesn't add up. It's such weak ground for them to stand on. And that's incidentally why 60 Minutes wouldn't even have me come on to tell my side of the story here, because notwithstanding all of their home court advantages of splicing and dicing, editing, B-roll, if I say something particularly particularly persuasive, they could just take it out. All of those advantages aside, they thought evidently that the case against Epps is so suspicious and so damning that they couldn't countenance having anyone presenting the other side. And so at least on some level, they understand how utterly devastating Epps is to their narrative. And that's why I think Epps has rightly become kind of, even though he's not the only part of the story by any means, he's rightly emerged as the kind of symbol of the Fed's direction and the crumbling narrative surrounding it. Yeah. One of the other details too, uh, this guy was allegedly there for the Trump speech, didn't even attend the Trump speech. 
uh, and didn't hear the thing that he was allegedly in Washington to do, which was to see the Trump well, speech. That he flew across the country to see. And further, so he flew across the country. He said, oh, my son wants to hear the Trump speech. He flies across the country. He said, you know, I'm worried I need to protect my son. So not only does he skip the speech, he abandons his son, <laughs> Like the, which was the whole reason that he claimed that he went there in the first place. It's interesting. This is kind of a, a an interesting thread in its own right that hasn't been sufficiently explored it came out that in his interview with the fbi one of one of his earlier interviews um they asked him so what you know compelled you to go to dc in the first place and he said oh my son was going to hear trump's speech i was worried i wanted to go there to look after him at my wife's behest that sort of thing and he said i was particularly worried that somebody would set off explosives on the side streets near the capitol which is bizarrely, you know, very close to what these pipe bombs allegedly were. And to my astonishment, the FBI agents interviewing him didn't even ask a follow-up question as to how did you have, not only did he have this idea of going into the Capitol in advance, he had this bizarre premonition that pretty closely conforms to what the pipe bombs were, also in advance, at least according to what he told the FBI in this particular interview. So there's an astonishing lack of curiosity about Epps. There's, you know, whether explicitly or implicitly, it's pretty clear that people within the government got the memo that Epps is not to be touched. And that accounts for the extraordinary degree of protection that he's received up to this very ridiculous bungling and completely unconvincing misdemeanor charge. Yeah. Uh, based on previous testimony that Garland has given before Congress, did he perjure himself there in front of Massey? I mean, wasn't it just obvious that he perjured himself? Um, w With what particular claim? As far as not knowing if there were any feds that were inside of the building or if they were there. Uh, or how many of them might be there? How many federal well, if assets he said were that, there? It's very hard to believe he would. He didn't know if there were any feds there. I mean, if that's the case, then he cordoned himself off very well from everything that's going on. So it's either he's lying or he's such a, you know, the leadership is disastrous for him not to know this. In fact, one other thing that came out in the testimony of Stephen D'Antuono, I mentioned earlier, he said that there were so many CHSs, so many informants just littered throughout January 6th, they lost track of all of them and what they were doing. There were that many. Have you looked and, into... Oh, one other detail, one yeah. other detail. When, when D'Antuono said that he felt awful for Epps, and he was pressed on that. D'Antuono claims that he never has seen the video of Epps telling people to go into Capitol. Imagine that. You're the head of the FBI field office in Washington. You're in charge of the January 6th investigations. Epps is one of the first 20 people on your most wanted list, and you're telling Congress that you've never seen the video of what Epps was doing? Unbelievable. What about, you said leadership. What about, have you looked into the involvement or the knowledge that people like Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Mike Pence had relating to January 6th? You know, that's a great question. I'd be very interested in that, but it's not been an area that I've 
I've researched to any um, to any degree. So, you know, my guess is as good as anyone's on that. My intuition on it, though, is that these people are kind of old and, and decrepit. And I think it's more of a, you know, don't ask, don't tell. And they have, you know, minions sort of doing this kind of stuff and more or less leave them out of it. That would be my guess, but could be entirely wrong. It's just not an area that I've I've researched on. My research is uh, overwhelmingly focused on that first breach site, the Peace Monument, everyone involved, including Epps uh, on one side and also the pipe bomb stuff on the other. I think those are the highest leverage uh, pressure points. They've certainly put the regime on the defensive in many ways. And I'm hoping that either of those, maybe even both, come to a definitive and decisive conclusion sometime soon. Yeah, likewise. Uh, the reporting at Revolver by Darren Beatty, by the way, has inspired a lot of the coverage that we've done here on the network. And I think that our audience and yours owe you a tremendous amount of gratitude. It's hard work. It's real journalism. And there there happens to be a shortage of that these days, but there also happens to be a, an extremely high demand. I think people are really understanding what this is. We appreciate you being here uh, to explain it in greater detail. Very interesting stuff. Darren Beatty, thank you. Thank you. It's everywhere. Mainstream media is howling about the new COVID variants. They are offering free vaccines and boosters, but people are waking up to their BS and not falling for their lies any longer. God gave us a brain to think and an immune system to fight off evil forces and the devilish diseases that have been unleashed on humanity. We don't want to die suddenly. We want to live fully. We don't want to alter genetics. We want to strengthen the body we have already been blessed with. Try our immune protocol today. It has 15 flu-fighting ingredients, including vitamin C, D, zinc, corsetin, magnesium, elderberry, turmeric, and more. You don't need blood clots. You don't need cardiac arrest. You don't need big pharma. You need an immune system that will stand up to tyranny. You need our immune protocol. Visit PandemicProtocol.com to fight through this flu season and beat the next bioweapon variant with an all-natural, non-GMO solution. Go to PandemicProtocol.com today. I really wish I didn't have to bring you this disgusting news. But you know that holster company that I've been working with as a sponsor for the past four months, Vanish Holsters, they've just been banned. Yeah, even though they're legally allowed to purchase it, Amazon, Google, and Facebook just banned it for sale to more than 7.7 million Americans who live in a certain state. Now, the good news is they can't stop me or us from getting it in their hands, or in your hands, for that matter. Now, crazy enough, the reason that it was banned is because that holster, Vanish Holster, enhances the concealment of a weapon better than just about any other holster on the market. And even better, it works with 99% of all semi-auto handguns. It works without a tactical belt. It lets you carry in multiple positions. It carries two fully loaded magazines. Best of all, using my link, you get it for $40 off. So lock in your special pricing right now. Go to Vanish.com slash stew. Again, that's V-N-S-H.com slash stew. Again, vnsh.com slash stew taxation is theft especially when your money is used to fund evil wear a mask get boosted corona hoax mass deception america controlled by fear good news there's another way you can stop paying for the crimes and cover up today through freedom law school the best thing you can do according to the irs's own official auditors is to stop filing and paying 
income taxes. Based on the government's official websites, there is no law requiring 99% of Americans to file and pay income tax. See the proof for yourself on freedomlawschool.org. Don't wait to drain the D.C. swamp. Start your journey to freedom from IRS deception, robbery, and slavery. Starve out the problem. Weaponize your earnings. Defund the swamp and fund the truth and freedom movement today go to livefreenow.org and restore the freedom we all miss welcome back so uh we were just having this discussion offline carlos and myself about breakfast i i hate breakfast i will i will not eat breakfast i don't know what it is i just don't get up in the morning like yeah i really would like to go eat some breakfast it's terrible it's trash uh, but you've got your family in town. Your mom is there. She's making you breakfast. Are you a breakfast guy? I mean, do you eat breakfast? Nope. I inter—I intermit fast pretty much every day. I think and- breakfast people are weird. I, you can't trust somebody who goes out for a big breakfast or like, you know, and then what is the quick breakfast alternative, right? I mean, you've got cereal. Like, what's that? Who wants to eat cereal? I feed cereal to my kids. I remember eating cereal as a kid. I think some cereals make a pretty decent snack as long as, you know, hey, anything that comes in a package, a wrapper, or a box, you can pretty much safely assume is poison. So please use like a scanner app or something and look for additives. And, you know, uh, if sugar is the top ingredient or dyes, you know, of course, uh, yellow number five shrinks your dick. Nobody wants that. Uh, But yeah, so your mom's in town. She's making you breakfast and you're just lapping it up. You're eating it. I don't know, man. Is our relationship deteriorating or is she really that good of a cook? Dude, my mom's Puerto Rican, brother. I mean, come on. Hey, the cook is is amazing. Yeah. What, what is it? What What is it that's getting you? The bacon or what? Yeah, the bacon. Yeah, I. I guess that's kind of my nemesis as well. I put that shit on everything. Uh, yeah. Excuse my language. All right. So uh, it is the money minute right now, and we're going to talk about the world of finance, where the great imminent financial reset is coming. People are just waiting to wake up and have their bank accounts reset to zero, but then they're not doing anything about it. They're just talking about it. What can they do? Yeah, so Fed now uh, is obviously imminent. I mean, it's it's here. Uh, there's over 110 banks, too, that are raising their hands. And yes, we want to participate with the government takeover of your funds. Ridiculous. Um, so we have a private insured, a PIA, a private insured account. And basically, we're able to protect clients' money from the CBDC, from government takeover, from market risk, from inflation risk. From the idiots like uh, Jerome Powell saying, hey, we're going to have the same interest rates till 2026. I mean, this is ridiculous. Banks are going to fall off like crazy. We got $400 billion in commercial loans right now that are due in five months by the end of this year that that companies are not even wanting to refinance. Who wants to refinance at these high rates right now? They're going to walk away from these buildings, not offices, buildings. Yeah, and for full disclosure here, other than being friends and and Carlos obviously buying advertising on the program, uh, also we talk offline about personal investments of mine. uh, And, you know, these amortization tables are unbelievable. These things are amazing. The best part is the government can't touch them. You know, I mean, we have a corporate crime syndicate that would love to uh, take your kids, uh, rape your kids, molest your kids, sell your kids, traffic your kids, take your freedom, take your liberty. Of course they're after taking your money. Uh, but they can't touch this. That's one of the best things. I've got 30 seconds left. Final words. So we, what are you doing now? So our listeners, we, Stu and I, we love you. We want to protect you. Yes. We, we breathe the same air. We worship the same God. We have the same values. We wholeheartedly want to protect your money. What are you doing right now 
if the government does go in with the FedNow program and extrapolates every single dollar, you could have done something about it. Yeah. So is it a should fix now or could fix now? You have to answer that question. We'll help you navigate through it. All you got to do is call us 813-448-3446 or visit us at CortezWM.com. Cortez Wealth Management, Carlos Cortez, 813-448-3446. Again, 813-448-3446. Or like Carlos said, you can just visit them online. If you want to book an in-person appointment, if you want to book a virtual appointment, if you want to book a phone conversation, all of those things, go to CortezWM.com. We are out of time for today. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday, finally Friday on the Stu Peters Network. We will be here from this same place at this same time. Until then, God bless you.